a bad day again She said I would not understand Oh yeah, that's right everybody Crossing Broadcast is your only 5 for 5 Philadelphia Sports Podcast In Philadelphia Covering the Eagles, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, and Triton Baseball. I'm Kevin Kincaid, joined by a man who could not do the intro to the podcast today because he's too sad and too dejected from the Sixers Game 7 loss to do the intro. It's Rush Joy. Hi. So I'm going to be carrying the podcast this evening. Or this morning, or whenever you're listening to it, after uh, what, what felt like 10 hours today of exit interviews uh, in Camden on a beautiful uh, rainy day in the Delaware Valley. And uh, yeah, we are talking about Brett Brown, we're talking about Joel Embiid, uh, Ben Simmons, we were talking about Kawhi Leonard hitting a ridiculous shot uh, to win Game 7 at the buzzer for the Toronto Raptors and Russ. I don't know what your reaction was. I was watching the game. Uh, my wife was on the couch with my newborn and the dog was asleep. The newborn was asleep too. So two of the four people in our house were asleep, but I didn't even really look at him. I just kind of like put my hands on my head and I was just like, wow, you gotta be kidding me. I saw Tobias Harris's face and I was thinking, man, that's gotta be the shittiest feeling in the world. (laughs) To be be on your court, to bust your ass, go to seven games at that team and get it to, uh, where you think you're four seconds away to overtime. That was my reaction. What was your reaction? Well, it's nice that you uh, you pointed out a picture-perfect moment in your life, being by the ones that you love and cherish. I was alone <laughs> on the couch. I mean, let me break it down for you like this, Kevin. It was Mother's <laughs> you were Day. You alone on the couch. <laughs> it was Mother's Day. My wife, she is the rock of our family. And yeah. she she was a real champ. She said, we are going to buckle in for game seven. And then we've yeah. got some thrones. Yeah. And uh, with seven minutes and 53 seconds left in the fourth quarter, she looked at me and she's like, I really don't want to be up until 11. So I do what mm. any good husband would do. I said, I think it's time that we end things. I'm just kidding. You got I looked at You filed I, for divorce. <laughs> I, look, <laughs> I looked at her and I said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to put my phone in airplane mode. Yeah. We're going to pause the Sixers game. We'll come back to the DVR. We'll go watch Thrones. Mm. Thrones should be uplifting. Mm. <laughs> and then and then we come back. When we come back, yeah, we'll finish up the Sixers game. If it's not too late, she can stay down. If not, I'm going to watch it by myself. Wow. You went and did... So you watched... What was did, that? In like I the did third the split, quarter? Fourth quarter? I did quarter? the split game. No, it was, it was just under eight minutes left in the fourth. Oh, my God. And, you uh, got that far, and then you watched 90 minutes of Game of Thrones, and yeah, then you came and, back. Yeah, and you know what? I know a lot of people thought that that would be a terrible thing to do. It's not being a good fan. Put my phone in airplane mode. I acted like I was totally off the grid. I didn't look at anything. And I figured, you know what? If nothing else, I'm going to be able to skip commercials on my way back, um, back into the game. And I won't spoil Thrones. Maybe we'll talk about that at the end. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I um, I was not feeling great after Thrones was over. But I, I had this feeling all throughout Game 7 that, that the Sixers were going to manage to make this thing work out and they were going to turn it around. You talk about a team that starts 0 for 9 from the field, 1 for 11, and... Um, 13 points in the first quarter. And it felt like so many times in this series, we had to kind of tell ourselves, especially after the first quarter, well, 
you know, for all the bad things that happened, at least it's close. And when you're in a seven-game series against a team that had, what, 58 wins on the season and were a pretty dominant force for the better part of the entire regular season and, and mopped up in the first round against Orlando, you know, I, I think you can talk yourself into a lot of things and a lot of positives that came out of the series. But I, I kept going through Game 7 thinking, like, at some point the Sixers have to they, – they've got to do better – and um, I know that's really great insight, but like in the third they have quarter, to be better. Hashtag they have to be better. Be better. Uh, I felt like in the third quarter, I, th- I thought that was going to be the moment that they were going to come out and really throttle Toronto. Yeah, I thought that this was going to be like a moment, kind of like what Golden State is famous for. That third quarter push, you get a good speech out of Brett at halftime about you know go out there, guys. You got to make sure that you uh, you execute. Get Joel the ball out at the top of the arc. Don't put him in the paint. He doesn't know what he's doing down there. Plus, we got to get Ben involved. And I thought, you know what? Maybe they'll maybe they'll come out with some fire in the third. And it just it just never felt like they were totally clicking. And I was so disappointed um, uh, throughout this series. But I, I I just found myself wondering, like, how does Elton Brand feel about the acquisition of Tobias Harris? Because that that to me mm. ends up being like one of the main stories of this uh, of this postseason run could have used more out of him and and like we can break that down and everything but like i thought ben have a great game i thought ben came out with a lot of fire early and then he he kind of tailed off in that second half but i thought he came out with with the fire that we expected at least in the last two games joel joel once again was a no-show offensively six out of seven games i don't know how people want to parse this but like six out of seven games he did not get it done offensively as your number one option and he was excellent defensively which is great. And that's why, you know, you look at his plus minus. I mean, he was a, a major difference maker. But for a guy that takes as many shots as he does and somebody who's relied on so heavily on a night where, where things weren't really falling for Jimmy Butler, on a night where Tobias Harris was deferential once again, and and on a night where, you know, second half Ben Simmons kind of reverted back to what Ben Simmons has, has often been in the postseason. You needed more from your big guy and he, he just didn't give it to you. And, you know, I think those are a few of my main takeaways. I, I thought that they were going to be able to pull this thing off at the end, but I, just I was crazy very disappointed. Me. It's crazy to me how Toronto didn't seem to like Toronto didn't really play that well either. You know, and some of their guys were not really taking shots, just kind of being deferential to Kawhi and waiting for him to win the game for him. You know, like it was there. They did everything they could to give it to him. Felt a little like game two, didn't it? Where like the, both of the teams really couldn't hit much of anything. There was some really good defense being played. Toronto's defense was actually really, really good last night. Yeah, the way just, they were rotating and getting back and covering and stuff like that, you know, look, there was times where I'm looking at Joel and I'm like, I'm like, has Joel ever seen a double team in his entire life? Because he like he just was react. not, yeah, you know. And Toronto wasn't disguising those double teams at all. They were just trying to pin him down and trap him as soon as he got the ball. Because Joel likes to catch, sort of like that mid range area. He's not in. It's funny when everybody says, "Well, you should go to." His fat ass in the blocks because Joel never oper- like never starts in the blocks anyway like and most bigs don't in the modern day NBA you're not going to post them up four feet from the basket so you know when he gets those catches in mid-range they bring the second defender over they had Serge Ibaka sitting in there so it takes away the skip pass to the weak side um, and there are times where he had to dribble out just to like get a desperation pass to somebody else you know Yep. so they know those doubles are coming you know they're going to come off a of Ben's man just a lot of the same frustrating stuff. Because you, you've seen Joel throw 
those Jokic type crazy passes out of doubles before, but he just he just seemed like he was like just very slow to recognize a lot of things last night. And I know you're asking the dude to play 45 minutes or 46 minutes or whatever it was. Um, but for them to, you know, the offensive execution down the stretch, it, it, again, it was like, felt like game four were, where they just couldn't get anything to go at the end. And But the difference between this and game four is that game four, they were actually getting good looks. Game four, Jimmy Butler missed a three. Tobias Harris missed two three-pointers. So in that, you're just like, okay, they got their good looks, but they didn't make the shots. This time, they just, those three offensive possessions, actually, it was, it was five. They went five final offensive possessions they turn those into three points and they were all from free throws it's not okay it, yeah. this this is the thing that has plagued this team in two straight postseason runs right it's the end of games it's end of game execution it's it's when the lights are shining the brightest and this team just consistently shrivels up and and like I, again i come back to tobias a lot because to me like this is a guy who thinks he's going to go out and and get a max deal and he very well might Maybe the Sixers offer to them since they can offer more than anyone else. But, you know, maybe one of the L.A. teams or one of the New York teams end up, you know, trying to throw some some serious bucks at him. But, like, mm. I like what Tobias Harris gave you this postseason. And, like, if if you look at it, there there's this, like, fundamental shift in what he did between the uh, Brooklyn series and what he did um, in, in this series against Toronto. You look at his three-point attempts against Brooklyn – the most he attempted in any game was game three. He put up six. He made all six. Um, and in every other game, the most he had made in that series was two. And then you fast forward to like what this um, Toronto series was. And, and it comes back to the game four. I mean, this whole series just comes back to game four when the Sixers let the Raptors off the hook. And you look at Tobias Harris from deep. And, and in that game, just v- like very out of character for him, at least in this postseason run. He goes two for 13 from deep. And it just kind of became mm-hmm. like, when did he decide that he was going to become? I know that he's a he's a good enough catch and shoot three point shooter or catch and catch and shoot from mid range, but like he jacked up thirteen three point attempts in that game, hit two of them. At no point, other than that one game that he went six for six from deep, at no other point in this postseason run did he score more than two three pointers in a game. And that was yeah. one of the things that he was so lauded for when he came here was he's going to be your second best sharpshooter behind J.J. Redick. And in some ways, he might actually shoot for a higher percentage because he's a volume guy. So let me ask the people out there, because I, I don't feel like Tobias has gotten enough scrutiny you know, out of what, what he did or didn't do in this Toronto series. I need somebody to tell me why exactly you go out and give Tobias Harris a max deal after bashing. And I was one of these people after bashing Robert Covington for a year. What you essentially got from Tobias Harris was all the volume shooting of Robert Covington without the defense. He shot, uh, Tobias shot 43.4% with the Clippers this year over 55 games. Uh, He shot 32.6% from three um, when he came to the Sixers. You know, Russ, and as far as the Raptors, you know. But they are who we thought they were. And we got them off the hook. I don't, yeah, because, you know, I watch that team and I'm like, man, you know, when Kawhi's not doing his thing, I, I don't really, I don't know if there's any anybody on that team that really strikes fear uh, in you. You know, I mean, Gasol's 34 years old. Kyle Lowry can be his annoying self and get some buckets here and there. Serge Ibaka had a huge game, go figure, last night. But I don't know. I'm with you, man. I felt like the talent was there. I, I didn't, you know, on those final, on, for the write-up this morning, I took those those three final plays and I clipped all of them. You know, on the first one, I didn't think it was a bad call at all. It was coming out of the timeout. This is the one where they had the friggin' ridiculous 
um, shot clock violation. I know this is probably terrible podcasting, but I think everybody can probably play it through in their head, right? Um, they just went to that dual action elbow set that they've used a bunch of times. Tobias Harris plays the ball to Embiid in the elbow. Reddick comes off the screen. Harris can go the other way. They just didn't execute on it. The second one was just a a Butler's um, Embiid pick and roll. But Embiid was slow to set the screen. Butler was kind of running around, didn't play Joel back. He had Gasol at one point, didn't drive on him, and then they got the ridiculous, uh, you know, like heaved up a shot with like one second on the shot clock, and it was like an air ball or it was tipped or something like that. And the third one was terrible. And th- this one I would blame Brett more for this one than the other two, but this was the one where they had the horrible turnover that led to the f- – the layup at the other end where Reddick's coming off like staggered screens and Jimmy doesn't give it to him. Joel and Tobias like dribbling around on the perimeter. Like, I don't even know what the fuck they were doing there, but I mean, at some point like players got to make these plays. I, I know everybody talks about Brett's, you know, sets and stuff like that. And people aren't too thrilled with his offensive schemes and stuff like that. But I mean, the, the offense really was not this year was not like the, the problem the problem was the execution in, in half court specifically in late game situations which they did a lot better in the wins in Milwaukee the win in Golden uh, the win in Milwaukee the win in Golden State so they had enough like go to plays and and um you know closer options i think on the team and that's what's disappointing i don't think Jimmy was that great last night you know no and and i think that's part of the problem too is it felt like in the fourth quarter Jimmy started going into hero ball hero isolation ball that yes. that netted a few bad results now there but were he a couple he wasn't being like assertive with like he yeah, wasn't he he wanted the ball in his hands but he wasn't doing anything when he did have it in his hands you know it sounded like ben simmons um oh, the, <laughs> um it, it look i i thought that that might have been the part where it felt like the game was going off the rails i mean when this sixers offense isn't moving the ball in this dribble handoff offense like it it just doesn't work, right? And a lot of times that happens with Ben when he gets jammed up in a double. Um, in in the case of Jimmy, it was just weird because he got himself into a couple scoring positions where um, I think he had a baseline jumper and he had a, a layup or a floater that he had, he had nailed, like, um, I want to say two possessions before. It was near the beginning of the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. But later on in, in that quarter, I want to say like eight minutes left or so, mm-hmm. is when he started going hero ball, hero isolation, and... And the results of those plays were catastrophic. I mean, you mix those together with a couple of the shot clock violations, and you take into account that the the Sixers were outshot. Was it twenty four field goal attempts more by Toronto? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Rid- I mean, when when you think man. of that part, not only did Jimmy try to get things going and and fail to do so in the fourth, although I'm going to give him probably him more than anyone else in the series. I'll give him a pass because the Sixers, quite frankly, don't get to seven games without Jimmy Butler yeah, being Jimmy yeah, Butler. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but but we do have to critique him for not getting that job done the way that he had in other games in this fourth quarter. But when you take into account that like this team was outshot by 24-odd field goal attempts, was out-rebounded on the glass, I think every Toronto player except for one had an offensive rebound. Mm-hmm. You saw late in that game, Kyle Lowry got a floorboard, then skied up over three other over three tall Sixers yeah. to get the second offensive rebound. It kicked out for what, for what was it? A Kawhi three from uh, from yeah, the top. There were two. I think like, there were two separate occasions where they had two, or where they had offensive rebounds that Kawhi hit three pointers off of. And it's just like it was. It was so frustrating to watch this team that because every every national analyst said right, like every and every commenting commentating commentating commentary team, every commentating continued to say, "You've gotta, you've gotta look at this Sixers size. It's remarkable." I was gonna do a Doris Burke impression. I won't. But like, look Mm. at the size. (laughs) 
Look at the size of, of these players. <laughs> you talking Kevin, about their hands, Kevin, right? no, really, oh, okay. Kevin. Look at the size of Kawhi Leonard's hands. Kawhi they Leonard. They are so large and so strong, Kevin. Kawhi Leonard, so his hands are so big that he should give some of his hands to the 99%. Um, by the way, the two clips that I played, later Russ and I are going to go through. I've put together a, a prototype of a soundboard for the Crossing <laughs> broadcast, and we're going to go down. I've used two of them so far. And we're going to go down through the whole list, and we're going to play them, and we're going to see what Russ likes. Because he hasn't heard these yet. I, I made it. We're going to play them. We're going to see what Russ likes. We're going to we're see gonna, what y'all like, and we're going to trim it down from there. Because I'm not going to keep all of these. But I'm going to add some some other ones. We're going to take this to uh, Shark Tank. I don't know. Thank you, You've Jim used Warren. that one already. Have you, um... I don't want to By the way, were one. you much of a, a Shark Tank fan at any point? Uh, I love Mr. Wonderful. Okay. He's my kind of guy. There was, I think, like the fourth season, there was a guy who went on and legitimately tried to sell his radio show for, like, syndication. And I was like, this doesn't make <laughs> really? any sense. If he can get on, why, then why can't why can't Philadelphia's only 7 for 7 podcast Snark go on? Tank. Um, yeah. Anyway. The, the thing about the rebounding, Russ, is that the Sixers were so good at that this year. They were, so, they were like... They were a top, I think they were a top five rebounding team all season long. But in the playoffs, in the playoffs, um, playoffs, their defensive rebounding percentage was 75.9. That's fourth best in the NBA. Their offensive rebounding percentage was 33. That's first. Their total rebounding percentage was first. Their opponent offensive rebounds per game was sixth. So they were the sixth, the Sixers were the sixth best team at keeping teams off the offensive glass and uh, they were only allowing 39 opponent rebounds per game which was first so they were like top five you know top six on almost every single rebounding category and I you know some of that too is when you're asking Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid to play like 42 and 45 minutes or whatever like obviously your legs are not going to be as they're not going to be there like they are playing 36 minutes playing 34 minutes I get that you know but you just got to empty the tank in these kind of cases you know I think it got them uh, 12 oh here's another typo here because i did i wrote my story at like four in the morning while i was up with my daughter I, I this is what i wrote long rebounds were a killer last night just a total backbreaker toronto snagged 16 offensive boards and scored 12 second half points I should say second chance points but that's all right um so yeah i think that was the most disappointing thing about it because they have been so good at that um for much of the year and like look credit to Nick Nurse too because he made the the appropriate adjustment and he went to Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol together you know to, and that's really the only way that he could combat you know the F- Phillies size you know and, and earlier in the series like he wasn't getting anything out of Van Vliet and, and Powell and, and Ibaka was terrible too when he was playing as a, ba- as a backup center um, but when he left Gasol at center and he played Ibaka at power forward they were able to do a lot better there Brett, I, I don't know like what adjustment there really was to make. I mean, obviously you weren't getting anything out of Monroe, you weren't getting anything out of Boban, but as much as it's about like as much as, you know, those guys like kind of struggled in the last two games, like the other four dudes just started standing around and playing like shit when those guys were on the floor too. They stopped moving the ball. Yep. They weren't using their picks and stuff like that. And for everything that people said about Boban, the same exact things same exact things happened when Monroe was in the game last night. So I want to see what you think about this. So I, I watched the Portland and Denver game um, before this one. And something about the way that Denver sets screens was so different than how the Sixers do it. I don't know if this is just a product of their offense or if it's just knowing that the Sixers had had such little to non-existent depth 
that they they didn't want to get into a physical battle. They set screens but, differently. But yeah, when you watch the way that like Nikola Jokic mm-hmm. throws a screen, or even like for Portland, like the way that Enos Cantor throws a screen, there is full body contact when they go to set a screen to actually create separation. Mm-hmm. And when and when you watch probably seventy odd percent of um, Sixer screens that are set by like the Joel Embiid's of the world, mm-hmm. there is no contact made with the defender. It's almost like he just kind of stands there as a quasi barrier and allows the player to pick whether he wants to go over or under. Whereas Jokic, like, actually, run, it's like running into a brick wall. Cantor's well, the same way. Ben's, and, Ben's not a great screener in general, but Joel, Joel is an elite level handoff screener, but not a pick and roll screener. Uh, that's that's my take, I think, on that because they don't. I mean, they really did not run pick and roll under Brett for a long time until Jimmy Butler came on board. You know, yeah. so just because they went to that and they started giving Jimmy more pick and rolls and he was happy doing that doesn't mean that like he had the best screeners or the best rollers. Like Embiid is actually a pretty good roller when he wants to do it, but half the time he's just popping. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. They don't need him popping to the to the three point line. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, which kind of takes me into like Jay Wright, Brett Brown, whatever territory. I mean, are we? Do we have opinions on? I don't think Brett's going anywhere. I'll say that much. I think they're fly. Him and Elton are talking to us tomorrow. I think they're fly tomorrow being Tuesday. I think they're flying out to the combine directly after that. I want to say so. I mean, if they were going to fire him, they probably would have done it by now. Uh, right. You know, I mean, they wouldn't let him talk to the media and then go do that. So I can't imagine he's going anywhere. Um, but, but I don't, I guess I would open the discussion by saying this, like, I I don't, I mean, how would I say this? I I don't, I don't think they like, I don't think they lost the series because of coaching. Like, I don't think Nick nurse outcoached Brett Brown. I don't think Brett Brown outcoached Nick nurse. I mean, I think, they both kind of made the appropriate adjustments within the framework of what they have and, you know, let the players play. And Toronto made one superstar play more than the Sixers did, really. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I don't know if it's a bad way. Like, I wrote in the story, like, man, that's a terrible way to lose. But is it? I mean, like, wouldn't it be have been worse to lose by 15 points? <laughs> like, sometimes sometimes you just say, okay, Kawhi hit a fucking ridiculous shot. And maybe people look back at it and say, and, and, say that you know years from now um but but i i don't like the things with brett in that series like you know if they had come game five was obviously a joke um you know if they had come prepared in game one and he didn't have to make adjustments and he had forced nurse to make his adjustments first then maybe something but i don't i don't look at that series and i don't i don't think that like brett was out coached necessarily no i I don't think i I don't know if nick nurse is actually a good coach though like that's that's the one thing that we don't know i mean we'll find i think we'll have a better idea well because what's toronto everybody's talking about like well i don't like brett's offensive sets i don't like his schemes and stuff like that what's toronto doing they're running pick and roll they're running isolation they're pushing in transit they're they're not doing anything that's like super crazy Put the, ball in Kawhi Kawhi Leonard, put the ball in Kawhi's hands and let him let him be michael jordan you know i mean that's what playoff basketball was? What do you? What the fuck do you think Ty Lue did with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving? You know there wasn't any like super did a really super good job strategy. Up Panera. <laughs> I think I think people t- tend to overrate um, coaching a little bit in like the upper echelon of the NBA. Like, sure, a, a, a team that doesn't have superstars, like a good coach and a good system, can get something out of them for sure. 
but it, at some point in the playoffs, like superstars just take over a game. You know, that's why it's a players' league. So I get and it. And that's People where don't Joel like, Embiid that and like that. Unfortunately, is where Joel Embiid be, came up small. Be Joel Embiid, yeah. Because if if you want to be, and this is where I thought that Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley were both right. If you want to be the best big man in the league, if you want to be somebody that's considered to be a top five player in this league, to go down as one of the generational talents, to go down as one of the all-time greats, you need to do more and you need to do better. And when you look at seven games in this series, Joel Embiid offensively no-showed six of them. And I know that people don't like to be critical of him because he is the franchise player, and, and I get sick it. And he's not. I, I get all that. You know, you know, you're you're sick twice. You've got this knee issue again. Um, that you probably picked up or exacerbated the issue by going and and playing in the All-Star game. Um, You kind of tanked your team's ability to get any kind of consistency as a starting unit because you missed so many games down the stretch. And at the end of the day, like while all but one of the games in this series, uh, Joel Embiid was a uh, a positive. I mean, in in Game 6, he was plus 40. You look at, at like what it was exactly that he gave you in this series. He went over 20 points twice. He did it in game three when he was throwing down a windmill dunk and put up 33 points. And he put up 21 points somehow in game seven. That doesn't get it done for an elite player. Now, if you have another guy who's elite A or elite B, then fine. Like sometimes you can overcome it. You look at like what Portland did in their game seven. Dame Lillard has been the guy to carry them through the postseason. Well, then you've got one A or or your number one B or whatever, and CJ McCollum who stepped up huge. And then you got con- a contribution from a guy who had been non-existent the entire postseason and had a really good game in Evan Turner. Well, what did the Sixers exactly have? The whole the whole idea here of this starting lineup has been that you've got four guys that at any point can take over a game. And that doesn't include J.J. Redick having streaky shooting and being able to knock, you know, two or three down on a few consecutive possessions or hitting a few threes in transition. You know, when Joel Embiid doesn't show up for six of these games on the offensive side of the ball, he's got to get picked up by the Ben Simmons of the world, the Tobias Harris's of the world, and the Jimmy Butler's of the world. And if they don't do it, so or they don't get you... two or three of those guys on at once, it doesn't work. So what's your, like, attitude towards... Brett Brown and the coaching situation. I'm not convinced that Brett is a good in-game coach. There are some people who are great at the social emotional side of things as a coach Mm -hmm. and balancing the egos. And I think that's something where he thrives, right? Like, and people said as much today at the exit interviews, like TJ said straight up, he's like, he's like, look, the fact that he had all of these personalities in here over two two trades and found a way at the end of the day to get everybody their shots and to keep all those people happy, like that is a monumental task. That's a huge part of the NBA. People can say like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with the basketball side of it, but a lot of coaching in the NBA doesn't have to do with the basketball side of it. A lot of it is just massaging personalities, you know, yep. and being like a sports therapist and a sports psychologist. But you're right. I mean, like they don't, you know, they run this, the Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, you know, low to high pick and roll like a million times at the end of the game. They just hand the ball to Butler and let him play, you know, isolation, hero ball, pick and roll and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I, I don't, 
Brett has said in the past, like he thinks calling plays is overrated. And like, I, I get it. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to play motion. They're trying to just encourage movement, attack closeouts, move the basketball. And they play really well when they do that. But the problem is he, as a coach, cannot get them unstuck out of first gear when they're in first gear offensively. You know what I mean? Yep. Ben Simmons is not good at that either. They need a floor general and they need to be able to um, to generate something when they're not doing what they're able to do. And furthermore, when your philosophy is transition and space and pace and stuff like that, it's just a lot more easy to get out of sync um, you know, than in other, in other ways. And when you play bullshit Houston Rockets ball all, all season long – that's what postseason basketball is too. So you're there's more familiarity with that system. You know, you you can't space, pace, and motion your way into the playoffs unless you have a, like four four perennial all stars like the the Golden State Warriors. You know, and I, and like furthermore with the coaching thing, Russ, it's like I, I don't I'm not one of those people necessarily who's like, well, if you go and get a different coach, like who is it going to be? Because sometimes just the act of replacing the coach and having like something different in there is enough of a catalyst to push people in a certain way to make comfortable athletes feel uncomfortable and to get more out of them. Like I'm not convinced that like, you know, you have to have a slam dunk hire in place, like to, re- to replace Brett with, like, I'm not saying Jeff fucking Van Gundy is the answer, but like, you know, I think there's, there's less about like, it's less about finding an amazing replacement than it is like just changing the, the, the things as they are in the, in the franchise. But yeah, you know, people talk about like Jay Wright. I mean, Jay Wright plays like four out, one in, even like five out a little bit with Omari Spellman, you know, and he plays a motion offense too. You know, he likes to have four shooters on the perimeter at all times, four guys who can shoot three. And guess what? I mean, you can't, Jay Wright's system is not going to fit Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons either. I'm not saying he's he's going to play the exact same thing. Of course, he's going to tweak it. Of course, it's going to be a little bit different in the NBA. But I don't. I think people. I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that like. I think people underestimate how tricky the the Sixers personnel situation is. You're not coming into this job and saying, "All right, we're going to run pick and roll," you know, because they're not a pick and roll. They don't. Joel Embiid wants to be a unicorn. He wants to shoot three pointers. He wants to hang on the perimeter. Sometimes he wants to do it all. Ben Simmons basically blew off questions today again about his jump shot. So whoever comes in has got their their work cut out for him. And if Brett Brown gets fired, he'll be fishing off the coast of Australia. Finally, like stress-free for the first time in the last seven years you know yep i mean look i i think this is where i'm at with brett brett as a guy who what's the what's the best way to put this i feel like brett is an assistant coach i feel like the the kind of things that brett brings to the table are the things that you look for an assistant coach he's a soundboard for the players he's somebody that guys can ultimately go to uh, when they have a disagreement with the head coach or when they have a disagreement with an, with another player. But I don't think he's the guy who ultimately installs the best game plan or is able to make the on-the-fly adjustments that, that you need to get to the next level in the NBA. And honestly, like it's just like anything else. I can say that. I don't know exactly what it is that Brett Brown does during a game, right? Like I'm not there. I'm not down right behind the bench listening to him making adjustments with his assistant coaches. I'm not. But, like, to me, this is part of the problem and part of the disappointment of, like, when Monty Williams left. I still think that Monty Williams would have been a guy that had he not gotten hired by Phoenix or been pursued by the Lakers, I think he would have been a guy that if I was going to say, all right, if you're going to continue to go with somebody internally and you don't think that Brett's the guy to get this team over the hump, then many, maybe Monty Williams is because he's a popular guy uh, with the team. He's been a popular guy when in his tenures with uh, New Orleans and with San Antonio. He served in a front office. He served as a head coach. He served in as, a, as an assistant coach. To me, like he's a guy that 
you know, I think would have fit what this team maybe could have needed. Do I know exactly what kind of tweaks he would have made to the offensive system? No, I have no idea whatsoever. But it's just the idea of like, look, if you're going to go change for change, like I can tell you after covering the Flyers this season, like Mm. change sometimes is a good catalyst, but you know, sometimes it's better in, um, it also, you know, in, in, in the throes of, of the actual season happening itself, you know, some people will point to what Toronto did and say, you know, you got rid of the coach of the year last year and Dwayne Casey and, and, you know, promoted, uh, Norris, but like I, I, or nurse, God, Norris. Uh, and like you look Nick at Norris. Chuck Norris, Chuck, oh, Chuck. Chuck Norris is, <laughs> no, but, uh, but like you look at Nick Nurse and it's again, like, I don't know exactly what it is that he does. Um, I think, you know, in his case, he ends up looking good because Kawhi Leonard is, you know, 10 times the player, at least that DeMar DeRozan is, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I, I don't know what the Sixers do here, but like, to me, if, if Brett goes, the only problem is like, who's out there? Because you just saw if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Like you wanted to go out and get somebody to coach, to, to coach this, you know, twilight part of the LeBron James experience. You know, you're going into free agency where you're hoping to make one last ditch effort as a super team, knowing that Kevin Durant might go to the East and that the the Warriors dynasty could be over, watching Chris Paul fall off a ledge and knowing that Houston, you know, is vulnerable, watching the way that Russell Westbrook imploded this year. And then like what what are the the real best teams? Denver just got bounced because once again we saw that a team cannot run its offense through a traditional center in Nikola Jokic, just like the Sixers couldn't with Joel Embiid and, and get deeper into the postseason. And you know that that Portland is a flawed team. I mean, sure, Yusuf, or, um, Nurkic is out, but like you know that between Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum, you're going to get some scoring. But like, are they legitimately a long-term threat in the Western Conference? Like, I'm not so sure. So the Lakers felt like they had everything lined up to go out and get a big-name coach and to get somebody to come in and and you know like get things started and and going out and trying to acquire somebody else to come out and play with LeBron. And what do they end up with? They end up with like a week-long wooing of Tyron Lue, who is nothing more than somebody who, you know, rid, rode the coattails of LeBron James, somebody who, you know, we don't know had any kind of influence on the game plan that was being put in. It, se- it seemed like he was just a placeholder most, for LeBron. The most significant thing that, like, a new coach would, would do is that they kind of deliver, like, an ultimatum on what Ben Simmons is going to be and what Joel Embiid is going to be. You know? And that's the thing. You don't, that, there's nobody. There's nobody out there right now well, who if, has if the clout. Jay Wright, Nobody's got the Jay championship Wright, clout. What is Jay Wright? Okay, so let's let's just do an exercise here. We always like to do an exercise on the podcast, right? Or is that my other podcast? Is that this one too? Whatever. Any we do any podcast know. I'm on, I like to do a mental exercise. We like to advance the mm. story a little bit. If you're mm. Jay Wright and you come into it and you're sitting down with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, right? You're in your office in Camden, and you have both of them in your office. What's the first thing you say to them? To Joel and to Ben? Yeah. Um, Joel, get in shape. Right? Like, that's a primary mm-hmm. directive. Yeah. And, and I think Joel's, gonna, Joel's probably got to drop 15, 15, 20 pounds. I asked Joel about know this gonna help today. You it was like, drop some weight. Yeah, drops, yeah, for sure. I asked him straight up. I was like, look. Joel, you talked about how the communication's better with the medical staff this year and better with the front office this year. But like, and, and last year, Joel always said, like, I want to have a say. I want them to believe me. I want them to say what I want them to understand that when I say my body feels good, I feel like I can play to let me play. But they're just going to have to set. He's, and he seemed open to this, too. He seemed open to like some kind of Kawhi situation where he just doesn't play back to backs. And he said, look, I don't like not being out there. I feel like I'm letting my team down when I'm not playing. But this reality situation, he's a fucking 250-pound, 7 foot, foot 2 dude with an injury history. It is what it is. The NBA schedule sucks. It's a joke. There should be no back-to-backs ever. Okay? So 
realistically, like they're just going to have to, somebody's going to have to say to them, look, this is what you're going to eat. This is when you're going to play. You're still going to play 60 some games, you know, but we're going to just try to the deliverance, the landing of the plane, the plane is taking off earlier and the descent is starting earlier. You know, it's just going to be, there's more, we're going to put police officers on the plane or we're going to have money. We're going to monitor you while you're on the, the plane the whole time, you know? So, and he seemed open to that, but I mean, yeah, if you're Jay Wright, it's like, what the fuck? Like Ben makes it seem like jump shooting is not important at all to him. And Bede says he's fine being out in the perimeter shooting three pointers. So people's problem with Brett Brown is more like macro level kind of stuff. We're like, okay, you're going to let Ben train with his brother again. You know, you're going to let him be shoot eight, three pointers in a game. Like, I'm, I don't, I think it's naive when people say, well, his fat ass should be in the blocks. Like no modern day elite all-star center spends their entire game in the blocks. You know, you have people yep. who can pass and shoot. You got guys like, like Jokic, you know? Um, so I, you got guys like Porzingis, you know what I mean? You got guys like Anthony Davis. So it's not the, the game has changed a little bit. This is not like my 50 year old uncle saying, well, Charles Barkley would have got his fucking fat ass in the paint. Like that's not what the NBA is anymore. But yes, Joel Embiid is not helping anybody when it doesn't help when Ben can't shoot, so he stands in the dunker spot and and, and Embiid sits on the three point line instead. So if you can figure like, out look, that dynamic, I, fine. But Russ, your theoretical from the last podcast seems like it's more like closer to reality than than fantasy. You know, let's uh, rehash that hypothetical really quickly. And this is what I brought up on the last show. And I didn't get nearly as much heat as I thought I would. So I want to I want to find out from people what they think. If I can give you one of two scenarios and uh, you have to roll with it for the next, you know, foreseeable future, five to ten years, which do you pick? Do you go with uh, trading Ben Simmons, getting whatever you can for him in a trade? Maybe you get back a, a decent player. I mean, there the rumor out there today about uh, trading Ben Simmons for LeBron James is hilarious. Oh, fuck off. The idea... The Chris Broussard idea of Daryl Morey calling Elton Brand and offering Chris Paul for Ben Simmons is hilarious. Is Chris Broussard like so, uh, trending into Chris Sheridan territory here? Uh, I don't know. Are, are you also saying that he uh, he's been fired by the Daily News? Listen, I know, uh, we didn't follow that up, but I, I that's trusted a fluid, I, I, a fluid situation. I trusted what the two sources told me, so I reported it. Chris Sheridan he, still hasn't written Chris, anything for uh, the Daily News since. Chris denied it. Then he said like eight or nine days later he said i'll have more news on this later and then like eight or nine days later he said what do you say the situation is fluid the situation is what fluid. is that even what is so is water like anyway it's unre- um, it's un- when you say something is fluid like it's still being war- like still it means they're trying to figure out. out the the legal the legal framing for uh for what they're gonna say his uh his situation well, the thing is, was that like like i said in the story like chris is not Chris is a freelancer, so he's not like a employee of them, you know. So that's why when I talked to their editor on the phone, I said like, "Look, are you? Guys, I'm not trying to be an asshole here. I just want to know if you guys like, are you going to keep using his services?" And the editor was like, "Well, Chris is a freelancer, so that's what he just kept saying over and over. Well, Chris is a freelancer, so I mean, it wasn't like a personal thing out to get Chris Sheridan. I don't have anything against the guy personally. Like, I wrote." a column after he wrote his story saying this is what I disagree with and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, trust me when I say that that report was like totally aside from anything that I had written earlier. It wasn't like we were out to get him or anything, you know? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. So, Broussard. Well, anyway, um, the hypothetical, right, is if like knowing what we know now, knowing that Joel Embiid, you know, he, he went for it this year and whether you want to say that it was, you know, with, with all the right intentions well, you know. or, or if it was being selfish, 
He decided that he wanted to go out and make his case for MVP. He wanted to try to prove that he could play as close to 82 games as he physically could and that he was going to go out and try to be a dominant force in this league. And it didn't work, right? Ultimately, it led to his body breaking down, him not being available at the end of the regular season. And once this team did the second blockbuster trade to try to blow it up like, and, and to like go deep into the postseason, he was not available. Oh, and so, you know, knowing that and knowing what we know about Ben mm-hmm. Simmons, would you rather... Trade Ben Simmons for whatever it is that you end up getting. Maybe it's a package from the Lakers. Maybe that gets you something including like a Kyle Kuzma. Maybe that gets you something that includes like a Josh Hart. Are you happy with that? Can you get Drew Holiday away from New Orleans knowing that they might have to blow it up for Anthony Davis? If Anthony Davis, if the Bill Simmons idea is is actually something legit and you could theoretically try to woo Anthony Davis for a year in trading Ben Simmons... I don't know. Like maybe you consider it because you're really going to run a half court set. You're going to have Anthony Davis to stretch the four. He doesn't like playing center anyway. Uh, and he's got the ability to shoot from deep. He and Embiid would be a, an absolutely, you know, f- massive force in the front court. It would also allow you to play Anthony a Davis as a backup force. center from time to time. Yeah. Like it'd be cool. But do you trade Ben Simmons and roll with, you know, four to five years max of Joel Embiid being, somewhat healthy enough and being somebody who could take on the workload that he has do you roll with that or do you now trade Joel Embiid knowing that he's established himself as one of the better players in the game knowing that a team who thinks that they are close to winning can go over the top by bringing in this massive you know not only superstar on the court but somebody who's one of the the most marketable personalities in the entire game Mm. and do you then whatever you get back in a trade probably at least one pretty elite player. Maybe it's a guard. Maybe you try to convince Portland to part with like a CJ McCollum and a, and a couple of draft picks, or I don't know, you, you try to pluck a guard from elsewhere. Did you say roll? You, what? Did, did you say would, who would you roll with? I don't know. Did I? Oh, there we go. Roll out. Roll out. This is so white. It's... This is just this hurts. <laughs> it's very just upper hurts. Monco. Really to was. go back to like some nineteen. But, but yeah, like w- what would you rather go with? Do you I don't do you know. want the trade it's package a for Embiid? For the like, I, I think dude, you roll. I think you roll with Ben. I'm I'm dead serious. You can't, you I think can't get there, away from there's Joel, Joel Embiid. Is like a is a is too much of a once in a generation kind of talent. Like yeah, but he has to stay healthy, I, Kevin. He I hasn't know, done but it I yet. Can't, I can't do Ben Simmons. You could commit to Ben Simmons, and he could go out and break his leg. So, like, I can't, I can't factor the health and stuff into. It. I know it's a big deal with Joel, but I don't fucking know because anything could happen to Ben. You know, this city fell keep, in love with Allen Iverson, Simmons, and he delivered absolutely nothing to them except a bunch of heartbreak. Whether people want to admit it or he not, can keep, you hmm. could you could continue to double down on Joel Embiid, and if he blows his knee out or one of his other 17 injuries blows out and his career ends, you know, really within two, three years and he becomes Greg Oden and you traded away Ben Simmons because he didn't have a jump shot, that's going to look pretty bad. But you don't know I guarantee Ben's, at some point you if you get rid of Ben ceiling. Simmons... That's why there's all this theoretical well, I, I know, shit's but look, all bullshit if you get, anyway, you know. If you get rid of Ben Simmons, I guarantee you whatever team he ends up going to is going to look at what Mike Budenholzer has done around Giannis. And he's going to say, that could work here. And I will, I'll, we will go out, we will get four shooters to spread the floor, and we will allow Ben to be the, to be like the de facto five. I don't think we'll Ben, allow I don't him think to ben sp- Simmons like, is Giannis. Like, I, I know it's, he's not right now. No, but he, 
he might never be, but it's the same There's style. Never man. Really like, been it's get in the open <laughs> court and have shooters. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I get it. I get it. The whole I, I just think freakish size, freakish get, athleticism. It's there. There, there is a template to... in your own conference. All right. Well, that's a question for the philosophers. Let's uh, take. Let's do questions now because I think we had a couple Sixers ones. So instead of coming back to Sixers later, let's just do the questions now um, because I think we had a couple about that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. okay. Um, so I solicited questions, new crossing broadcast questions, comments, uh, life observations. Um, let me see here. Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer says the union are in first place. That is a life observation. They are indeed in first place. We'll talk about it Ooh. on It's Always Soccer. Ooh. By the way, Russ, uh, your Ooh. appearances on Always Soccer in Philadelphia have been um, generating uh, very good traffic. I have to say, I think we're up the episodes, the two most recent episodes that Russ appeared on were up 15%. How about that? Uh, let me see. I'm going to bring you the 15% of the 15% and it is going to make, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, the number one Philadelphia mm-hmm. union podcast. It's the most socialist podcast in Philadelphia. Um, Tucker says, how did the union, oh, we're not doing union questions. I'll save those. Uh, Yo, did you look at the listener numbers for the last episode? That's what I just I'm looking said. at right that's now. What I just said no, no, no. That's more than fifteen percent. Oh, that's good. Anyway, continue. Um, John Beeline to the Cavaliers. That's interesting, man, because he's like old. JB is yeah. like sixty something, sixty six years old at this point. You know, I don't know what the Cavs think. There's a doing. West Virginia like, connection there, though, because Mike Ganzi, who played uh, for John Beeline at West Virginia, is the Cavs' assistant GM. It's just a weird thing. It feels like something that's like supposed to stabilize the franchise, and then eventually, when they think they're going to be able to come back around, it's it's a, like yeah, it's, it's going to like young, he's going to hand it off to a, to a younger assistant. Like, it's I don't a know. young Cavs team with like an old Kevin Love, and now like an old mm. college coach. It, it's interesting, but but John what would you trade for coach. Kevin Love? Would you make a trade for Kevin Love? Uh, not at his salary. Like, isn't he making like isn't he maxed out? He's like thirty. 30, 35, I think. So, I mean, would if you lose Tobias Harris, would you, would you, I don't know. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere near Kevin Love, I don't think. Um, what if you just get really old? Like, what if you go out and you make the Broussard trade? You trade Ben Simmons for Chris Paul, who's on a max deal, who's going to make, I think, $38 million next trade, year, 41 trade, the year uh, after, 45 in 2020, 2021. I trade Chris Broussard Ooh. for Angelo Cataldi. Rear! Rhea. I don't know. He's not a Philadelphia guy, Rhea. Al! Al, do you hear this guy? He called the show. I can't handle it. CK says, luckiest shot ever or best shot ever? Probably both, right? Here's a real the fact question. That How many times have you seen. Top of Joe- <laughs> he said he was shooting it as high as he could. The arc right? on the like shot that- was just ridiculous, yeah. Here, like, it looked like NBA Street Volume 2. When they got the rights to using like Dr. J, that became the thing. Like the rainbow three pointers were a real thing. Here's here's the real question: How many times have we seen a guy falling out of bounds the way that Kawhi did, with the ball hitting the near side of the rim, <laughs> bouncing around to the far side of the rim? Uh, like I'm not even talking about four clanks. I'm just saying like for it to hit like it did on the near side and then go far side and then I boom know. boom it boom. It was in. a quadruple doink. Because it I was, was so a double. Devastated. There were two I, doinks on the first. Yeah, uh, I didn't side. even tell you. Yeah. I didn't even tell you what the saddest part. I, I said I let off the show saying I was alone on mm-hmm. the couch. So, 
I I switched from YouTube TV to Hulu because Hulu has live sports. <laughs> if you didn't know, and um, <laughs> oh, they have live sports. Hulu, Hulu uh, has but, live sports, but only one good knee. Um, so anyway, I I'm like sitting there and and like I can see on the um on like the 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 like the bar like as I can as I'm fast forwarding I can see where the ads are so I'm starting to like as I'm getting closer I'm starting to figure out oh okay we're gonna have like a timeout here and a timeout mm-hmm. here and the realization hits me that like they mustn't have been taking commercials for like the last five or six minutes of of real time not game Correct. time and I thought to myself oh man like this that means that it, it's either going to be it's a blowout to finish or that they just don't want to walk away from it and it's going to be back and forth back and forth and after Jimmy Butler put in the the um the layup that ended up, you know, tying the game at 90, I thought, holy crap, like, are they going to manage to, like, either one force overtime, or is this going to be, like, a steal and a buzzer beater, and, like, that's it? And um, it was just sad. Like, I, I, I got myself so hyped up, and then I'm, like, looking ahead at, like, where the next commercial break was, and it's pretty long. I'm like, oh, man, they must be going to overtime. Nope. Well, you know it's, like, a win. More like no overtime, when you're am I right? a writer, it's, like, a win-win situation. I know nobody wants to hear this, but I'm just being 100% honest with you. Like, I've been grinding, like, working basically six-day weeks ever since the Eagles season started. Um, so if the Sixers win, it's great. I get to cover an Eastern Conference Finals. Awesome. Yeah, it's exciting, you know. Great site traffic and whatnot. Sixers lose, uh, my season's pretty much done, you know, so I can get back to, like, not having to go down there at night and, like, come back at midnight and do all that stuff. So I think when you're a writer and you see those kinds of things, it's a weird feeling because you want the team to win, and it's a team that you grew up watching, but you're also like, this is a job for me. And so when it that shot goes in, I'm just like, I didn't really have a reaction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was just sort of staring blankly at the TV. Because um, it sucks, and you feel bad for those guys, and you're around them all the time. At the same time, you're like, all right, well, my summer is finally starting. You know, I got a newborn in the house. Like, you know, coming back at 2 a.m. from playoff games, and it's not the greatest thing of all time. I put this, I put this in Slack last night. This is this was like my biggest takeaway. This game felt like when Alshon Jeffrey dropped the ball in the New Orleans game, because in my mind, I kept going back thinking like, all right, he he could have caught that, and if he caught it, that was going to be a field goal, and if that's a field goal, you move on. And then you go and you probably play mind games, but you end up beating the Rams. You meet the Patriots oh, in the Super Bowl, reliving, and you might this. you might lose the Super Bowl, but but you're gonna get there. Like that to me is the way that that was gonna play out. I look at what happened here, and it's like if if the Sixers are able to close out Game Four, if the Sixers are able to get that game to overtime last yeah. night, all I'm thinking to myself is they're they're gonna not only get past Toronto here, but I think because of the matchup, I think they would have dispatched of Milwaukee in five or six games. I don't even think it would have been a seven game series. Five I genuinely or six. think that they. Yes, I genuinely think oh, that they would stop. have gotten past You're Milwaukee. They would have ended now. up in the finals against the Warriors, who they've played well, and they probably would have lost in six games to the Warriors. That that like the the feeling that I had at the end of that, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily disappointment for it the moment. Drugs. It was a disappointment of like what it could have been, and knowing that I think they would have advanced to the finals. Sam says, uh, "Question: What do you th- uh, who do you think would be the most likely non?" What do you think would be the most likely non-Sixers landing spot for Jimmy Butler? That's a good Brooklyn question. Nets. He says Brooklyn, too. Yeah, I can see Brooklyn. Um, Jimmy's from Houston. Um, yeah. They have no, no space. space. I, don't, I don't think he's ever really like made a suggestion as to like a, a geographical suggestion. It's not like Kawhi going to like L.A. or something like that. Um, yeah. Chris, remember LA, LA and New York both have two teams that have cap space 
and could theoretically start to yeah. create super teams. Brooklyn has a better team than the, the Knicks do. The Knicks have better drawing power if you can look past their owner, and the Clippers look like they're in better shape than the Lakers right Chris now. Chris Danella says, is there a backup big out there the Sixers can realistically target so that Joel doesn't have to play 45 minutes in an elimination game, or do they just try to hope to develop Bolden? Well, you do try to hope to develop Bolden, but Amir Johnson's gone, Greg Monroe's gone, Boban is gone. All three of those guys are um, free agents. So let me type in. I thought Boban was at, under contract. Am I crazy? I thought Boban has one year left. Uh, no, no, Boban is a, is a free agent. Yeah, he's an unrestricted free okay. agent. He's 31. So let me type this in real quick. Free agent. There's one free agent center that you could go out and get. Well, there's two. A lot of them are older. At least the guys are unrestricted. Um, I don't think it, like, I don't ever see this happening, but you've got DeMarcus Cousins who's going to hit the free agent market. I would assume that with Kevin Durant likely leaving that they're going to try to re-up Cousins. Mm -hmm. There's a possibility that you could try to swing a trade. I don't know why you would with Golden State. knowing It feels like Draymond Green is back on the downside um, if you really wanted to go that route. Nikola Vucevic is going to be available. The problem with Vooch, of course, is that Too like he's he is so not fleet of foot. This is the interesting one that I've no, I've yeah. thought a lot about, and I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around. If you're the Sixers, do you try to to pursue Al Horford? Hmm. Because like That's I think Al Horford could theoretically play off of Embiid and play off of him well, and knowing that Horford's at that point in his career, where probably within two or so years he might end up having to become a backup center. I, like I think I would have to go out and think about it, right? Like he's a good passer from the low block. He's a smart player. He doesn't like he does not let the moment um, some of the, get away from here's him. Here's some of the names that are out there, just unrestricted. Um, DeAndre Jordan, 31 years old. Robin Lopez, 31. Uh, Dwayne Dedman is 30. Uh, Kylo Quinn is 29 years old. Brooke Lopez, 31. Uh, Ekpe Udo. It's also 31. Zaza is 35. JaVale McGee is a free agent. He's 31. Tyson Chandler is 36. Jesus. Um, Joakim Noah is 34. Yeah, he's the same age as me. Does Julius Randle do anything for you? I know he's a four, but uh, like... I don't know. He if, if Well, Julius Randle feels like what you have in-house with Jonah Bolden. You know what I mean? Can I say one of the stupidest things I saw all day, the by the player, way, but that's... About, about centers? I saw John Barchard say it would have been nice to see Nerlens Noel... Uh, when, like, mm. uh, when you had to spell Embiid in the series, Nerlens has a player. As, like, option. just, just totally, totally, you know, ignoring the fact that that was never going to be a logical thing, and it didn't matter how Brian Colangelo screwed mm-hmm. it up, you were never going to have Nerlens Noel back here on a reasonable deal as the backup center on this Nerlens, team. Like, that's uh, crap. That's just Nerlens stupid. is on a player option. Aaron Baines is on a player option. Valanciunas is on a player option. Uh, Hassan Whiteside. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean. I think that's what you look for in the draft unless you go with another two-way wing, you know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's a question. All right, let me see what else I got in here. I got uh, David wants to know, how do you make the pain stop? Uh, ibuprofen, Mush- I think. Mushrooms. Two, two every four mushrooms. hours. Mushrooms. Um, Mike says, "What? Do you, not that I've ever done mushrooms. I wouldn't know what that's like. What do you make of Jimmy and Tobias being non-committal when asked about free agency today? Jimmy, I was not surprised. Um, he he made it sound like he was not coming back, but Tobias didn't like. I don't know. Tobias seemed like tired or something. I I thought you get more if you were going to get more of a a clue from either one of those guys. I thought Tobias would be more like open to saying, "Yeah, I want to come back here." I think he did 
say as much, but it, I don't think it jumped off the page at me. I mean, I wrote like a bazillion fucking notes. I just did this. I sat there all day long and did this running thread that people were reading. He said, um, uh, it was a good experience working with Brett Brown, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, I don't know. He didn't really say one way or another. Yeah. They always say the same shit. They always say, well, I haven't really thought about it, which is fucking bullshit. Cause they've all been thinking about it for the last X amount of months. You know what I mean? So, um, but God, if they, if both of those guys go, then what? You know. Well, yeah. Um, let me see if we got any more questions. That would, I mean, that would be an interesting clearing of the deck, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right, you want to do the soundboard? Let's uh, let's see what we got. Let's talk about the soundboard. the soundboard. So, listen, Russ and I were big fans of the Tony Bruno and Harry Mays soundboard uh, back in the day. What up? And uh, what up? What up? And so we decided we wanted to come up with our own soundboard, so I just made a bunch of shit. Really, what I did was I just took some recommendations from uh, podcast listeners. I actually didn't even talk to Russ about it, and I just made it myself. So I'm going to introduce the soundboard right now, and we'll just like go, let's just go through them, and uh, we'll see what you like and what you don't like, all right? Um, is that suitable for you? I think okay, this good. Uh, was the first one I came up with. I believe you get your ass kicked saying so much. Like <laughs> I dig it. It's from uh, Office Space. We got a uh, Chris Farley here. It's from Black Sheep. Well, listen here, fella. My name is Matt Foley. <laughs> I am 35 years old. I am divorced, and I live in a van. Here's down by the I river. I like Black Sheep. I love uh, the rock the vote scene there. Uh, here's a uh, obvious one that we're going with. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Uh, this one we've used before, but I actually uh, clipped it. The audio quality is not that great, but you tell me what you think. I really don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> it's got to stay. Uh, I on. mean, you you cite that clip at least three times an episode, so. Russ, you know, all these people want to talk about Brett Brown, but. I really don't give a flying fuck. So. Look at you. Um, a lot of these are vulgar. I just realized that. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. Um, this one might be too long. I'm not really sure if I can use it. And you won't know what this is because it's from Half-Baked. And if anybody on here has seen Half-Baked before, please at Russ or slide into his direct messages and tell him he needs to see Half-Baked. But this is uh, how I would quit my job. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you. I'm out. That's how, Scar- I've that's heard how that Scarface quits his job. Um yeah. He's on the grill and he works at like a burger place, and uh, he's literally standing like two feet away from the guy who calls out the order, and he gets pissed mm-hmm. off and he's like, "You motherfucker! I'm right behind you. Turn around and ask me for heifer with cheese." It's like a real famous mm-hmm. scene. Here's another one from Half Baked. Get away from me, bitch! Get away from me, bitch! Get away from me, bitch! Um. Here, here's one. What context are we going to use? Okay. I don't know. We'll figure out a way. Here's a good one that we'll be able to use a bunch of times on this one. All right. This is a slam dunk, right? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Adam Sandler. And then this, this one it. I'm going to use when Russ goes on a, a 10 minute just like diatribe about the NBA. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point. In that rambling, incoherent... How does that go? I can't remember. Um, here's one. I don't really know how we're going to... May God have mercy on you. I don't know soul. how we're going to use this, but we'll try anyway. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
khakis. Well, she sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. Uh, this is another uh, Chris Farley one. This is one of my favorite uh, lines of his. You got some kick ass shit! <laughs> This one I cut too. I don't know how the hell I'm ever going to use it. I'm probably not going to use it, but I, I just wanted to play it at least once. I think you've given like five that could actually be useful well, in a Well, in that's a why we're doing situation. the exercise. Yeah, that's why we go through the thing and we'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right, let's do it again. Uh, we oh. have sort of a problem here. There's lum. Yeah, you can't click on the same. So, here we go, another one. Yeah. <laughs> Lumberg. Uh, uh, we have sort of a problem here. Um, you gotta edit Nina out of the back there. Corporate accounts payable. Nina speaking. Um, what I got out here? Oh. Can I have my nice people? Merry Christmas, kiss my ass. Here's a Russ. I've noticed this. Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> uh, this one's easy. Playoffs. The price is wrong, bitch. Did you see the memo about this? Um. Here's you go. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. We already did that one. Sorry. Um, here's one from The Walking Dead that I'd like to use. I'd like to use this I one frequently. I that show. Why? I will shut that shit down. <laughs> you don't like The Walking Dead, Ross? No, Walking Dead's a terrible show. I will show. shut that shit down. Oh, it's, it used to be I good. wish somebody would have shut that show down <laughs> after the first season. Uh, this is what I feel like saying to a lot of people when they're talking to me. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. Okay. You remember that one from the beginning of Wedding Crashers? You yeah. shut your mouth and you're talking to me. Oh, you know what we need? Sucked. I need you to go into Wedding Crashers. I need the Will Ferrell scene at the end where he goes, Ma! Ma, the meatloaf! <laughs> Russ, I have a question for you. What would you say yeah. you do here? Uh, but they are who we thought br- they were. I bring the good looks and the boyish so charm. So we got some good ones in there. Um, All right. Let me see. Uh, yeah, that's it. So, and do we call it the Tony the Tony Burnham Memorial Soundboard? Uh, we could do that. Yeah, um, Tony's cool. He'd probably be cool with that. So I think really? we can go with that. And if not, I need a kickback. If not, then I really don't give a flying fuck. Oh. We'll call it the Philadelphia Parking Authority's uh, <laughs> Memorial <laughs> Soundboard. Tony is like on the a Philadelphia crusade, Parking a Authority crusade. or an absolute <laughs> racket, and it's something that needs to be dealt with at the national level. I am down here at. Uh, City Hall, looking for the Philadelphia Parking Authority, who gave me a ticket for parking in a handicapped spot, despite the fact that I am not handicapped, and I am outraged. I am outraged, Harry. What else have we got here? Uh, Steph Wisniewski, do you have a Wisniewski point you want to make? Who you don't cares? care? Yeah, great, great. They re-signed the guy that they made a scapegoat because they didn't want to acknowledge that Jason Peters was done. Oh, that's right. Like, Correct. I, I agree with that 100%. Let me see if there's a drop to agree with you here. Um, no, there really isn't. Um, that's about it. Yes, if you have anybody has strong feelings on uh, the soundboard, the prototype soundboard 1.0, of course I'll delete some stuff. I can add some stuff. Uh, that's cool. And if you don't have any thoughts, then <laughs> I like it. All right, so we got a little bit of something working there. I'm really tired, man. I'm sorry. I, you know, you Are know, you? 
Baby didn't right? sleep that much last night. Aw. Uh, you know. I know. But listen, the fact that I'm even doing this podcast, considering that my life is over, I think that's pretty good. I'm the first dead well, man I, to do a podcast. You know what? I think uh, I think you're doing pretty well for yourself. Thanks. Now, people that aren't doing well for themselves, Daenerys Targaryen. Mm. Am I right? You know, Game of Thrones right. spoiler here. Did we get any Game of Thrones? Do you want to do, 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 do a uh, do you want to do a two minute Game of Thrones? Yeah, segment? sure. Why don't you start that? Out? Spoiler, 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 spoiler. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. <laughs> I like Is that it Daenerys? so. So yeah. here's my thing. Um... Number, eight, episode number five, one, the penultimate. Yeah, episode. number one. I'm just like, okay. So after all of this shit, you're telling me that all Daenerys needed was one dragon to destroy the entire city, and not just one dragon. But you go back to episode four. She's flying around on Drogon with an admittedly wounded Rhaegal. And Euron Greyjoy, the hot topic model himself, fires three very rapid succession crossbows from a scorpion, pegs him in the chest, from like a in the wing, and, th- and through away. the neck yeah. from 100 million miles away. 100 million miles. No, no issue, by the way. He lands all three, including that one through the neck. Yeah. Then Daenerys charges at, at uh, Euron and the Iron Fleet. They unleash what twenty cross or twenty uh, scorpion <laughs> bolts at the same time. Drogon's just like, nah, fam, it's, it's 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 cool. I'm just gonna like evade these. I'm like Neo in the Matrix, you know what I mean? And then uh, you fast forward to episode five. She hides out in the clouds, like t- makes a beeline for Euron. Nobody can hit Drogon, and Drogon's just like, oh yeah, it's cool, guys. Like I'm gonna go low. You're gonna go high. I'm gonna switch like it up. Michelle, I'm gonna burn like everything. Michelle Obama. I don't know if anybody. Let me ask you: Who was who ran away, afraid more? No. Let me frame this differently. Who was a more pathetic runaway? Harry Strickland of the Golden Company, or Tobias Harris in Game Seven? Who was a more <sighs> underwhelming character on Sunday night? Ben Simmons in the second half, or Cersei Lannister? Phone lines are open for the first time today. (laughs) I don't know. I guess I think maybe we just, uh, I think people have their hopes up a little bit. I'm coming around to that. Like you can't tie up every character plot perfectly. I mean, because there's so many intersectional weavings of the different characters coming into each other. You know, I mean, it's like almost impossible to say like, you know, Jamie had interactions with Tyrion, who had interactions with Cersei, and or he had interactions with Cersei and Brienne. I don't know what the best way to close his 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 plot line is. I really don't. I mean, I, I feel like Here's they're the missing thing. on some of them, but like, um, I don't. It's I don't not know. that they're it's not that they're t- not tying up the loose ends. They're they're burning the thread. No, that's what I'm saying. I, it's not tying up like loose it's, ends. It's, it's like just... how, how are you bringing these these stories to an end? You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's I, like. I some just doesn't feel like. I mean, it's, it's one thing to ignore it. Like, it's one thing to ignore a lot of like what the first seven seasons built up, but it's a whole other thing entirely to just like Jamie's character arc. 
right? Like it, it was just it was the ultimate redemption story. Yeah. Then he bails, and then you're like, oh, okay. There's the Valencar prophecy in the books. Remember that, where like, Jamie, you know that that Cersei's gonna die at the hands of her yeah. younger brother, and yes. then he goes back, and then it's like, oh, just kidding. Well, he I, got stabbed. You know, still, still he got in love. Like twice what? when he was um, fighting Euron. Right near the beach. Um, and it's just like, okay, and then he gets like stabbed, he's laying on the ground and then he picks up a sword and he kills him. And then he walks all the way up the, I mean, I know that, I know that it's like, uh, it's, it's corny for me to sit here and say it's unrealistic in a show that has like zombie, zombie fucking dragons and zombie mountain, uh, Clegane dude. But it's like. At least try to make it realistic within the framework of the unrealistic thing that you've already created. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the thing that bothers me. But like, I don't know. I thought the Varys scene was was done pretty well. I mean, I thought it's just tough because you you've been with these characters for like seven years, and so for them to be like killed off in fifteen minutes, you're like, I, I don't know. I guess you can't do like an epic. You can't do a purple wedding for every character. You know what I mean? But I felt like if yeah. they had kind of force foreseen that a little bit, maybe they could have paced this season and last season a little bit better so that it didn't feel like, oh shit, everything's like happening all at once now, you know, and it feels like it's there's not enough like uh, juice to it, you know what I mean? Something about this season just yeah. feels like it's missing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really put it's my finger on it. because season seven felt rushed and, yeah. and like, but the, the problem with season seven was like the going north of the wall to go get a white, like that was a flawed plan, but like whatever. Mm-hmm. Season eight's just been like flawed and rushed. It's like episode one, when you go back and look at it now, like that was just... Let's tie up some stuff from last season. End it in under an hour. Episode two really felt like it should have been episode no, they one. Needed episode two, three, they needed two episodes just to build, build, up, build up into the third one. Yeah, yep. no, yeah. And then episode three was like, oh, a lot of this, like you probably needed an episode between two and three to make the Arya payoff with the Night King feel like something real. Um, Bran is just totally useless. This apparently. is how I feel. You know how I feel about Bran? It's like, what would you say you do here? You know, because he's like, what, just sitting in the wheelchair the whole time? Well, he can't really. He has superpowers. Of course he can do things. He can't use his legs, but he can transform into a a, a raven. I think if this this had gone the way that people thought, like, there's always been the thought that he was going to warg a dragon. I kind of thought that, like, all right, my dude is probably, like, sitting up by a weirwood tree watching the mass genocide of, uh, of Daenerys Targaryen taking out, like, a third of King's Landing. You think if there's ever a time for you to do the uh, Undertaker, roll the eyes back in your head and take over a dragon, it's probably about then, dude. Not a bad idea. I'm just throwing it out there. Nope. Nope. You're just gonna... And then I like at the end, uh, Arya, after dying for the seventh time, she uh, she stands up and there's just a, a, pale, a pale horse standing. Yeah, I don't know. To take her. Stuff is to just take like... her. Where to outside the gate. This is the thing. Last night was the first time I have not felt excited for an episode of Game mm. of Thrones since it since it started. I am no longer getting excited about any theories. I'm just going to sit back and take it in for what it is. And what yeah, it is had a is, terrible. Yeah, you've between the Sixers it, and Game of Thrones, man. I'm I'm kind of like uh, I'm a little worried for you. I'm just like disappointed. Mm. But you know what? This is what happens. Like HBO, I don't know what they were thinking by allowing uh, Dan and Dave, the showrunners, to. Uh, to abbreviate two seasons and to allow this thing to get run into the ground like they did. But like some people have enjoyed the season. I don't know who those people are or if they actually yeah, have a brain, but like, I get whatever, it, dude. You know, Listen, I life. get it. Like, I know you're not going to please everybody. And like I said, because the characters have so many interactions with other characters that like, 
if you, for example, would take Braun and have Braun kill Jamie, people would be pissed off that Jamie was not like with Cersei when they wrapped their plot line up. And then you'd have other people that say, well, you know, Tyrion should have been involved with Cersei or something. So I get it. Like when you have so many interconnections there, you can't please everybody. You can't pick the perfect. There's no perfect like bullet for all that stuff because you're not working off the book material anymore. But I don't know. It just feels like a lot of it was, it felt like we were slow, slow, slow. And then we were rushed and then we were slow and then we were right. And, and I don't, then people started teleporting across the map. Like it just kind of jumped the shark a little bit. I don't, I hate that term jump the shark. It's about as it's, it's up there with like this guy or that guy got exposed, you know, as mm. if like once they're ex, ex, quote unquote exposed, just as what they had a bad play or like their game plan did not work. Like they can never recover mm-hmm. from that ever. So, mm-hmm. cause like walking dead was shit for two seasons. And then the last season wasn't bad. So, um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, speaking of Jump the Shark, I think this episode has kind of jumped the shark. Um, I think this episode's done a lot of good yeah. things. So yeah, let us know what you think. If you like the soundboard, let us know. If you think it's total shit, you can tell us that too, and I won't be offended. Um, if you like it, you have some recommendations, cool. Um, it's about it. I think you know I, Russ was disappointed in the Sixers. He was disappointed in Game of Thrones, but um, tomorrow is the dawn of a new day. Uh, you go out and seize that day. Carpe. It's always darkest before the dawn. Carpe DM. And mm. um, look at you dropping the line. Am I ending the podcast since I started it, or are you ending the the podcast here? I don't know, man. I don't know. How do you crossing broadcasts? Uh, listen to Crossed Up with Bob Ooh. and Anthony. They'll be doing a new one whenever they do a new one. Wednesday night, I believe, for a Thursday release. Um, what do we got? Snow the Goalie with uh, Russ Joy and Anthony will be recording whenever they record. Later this um, week. What else do we have in the... Th- oh, we've got Crossing Broad FC with uh, Russ Joy and Phil Kaidel. That'll be recording whenever they decide to record. I think after you and I hang out. And it's always soccer in Philadelphia. We will be recording hopefully later, like midweek. Uh, your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union, first place in the Eastern Conference. Mm. They are the hottest team in town. What guests are you lining up for your episode, Kevin? Whoever the fuck I feel like getting on the phone. I think, well, yeah. just make sure they bring a uh, at least a 15% increase in listening audience because uh, you know, I don't like to beat you my know, chest honestly, here. You know, if... like you truly know, want to know how I feel about um, that 15% increase. I really don't give Go a ahead. flying fuck. Yeah. You should, and you do. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, hey, there's the uh, the sixth show on the uh, Crossing Broad What's Podcast that? Network, and that, of course, is Broadlines. Oh. Broadlines, the sports betting podcast, hosted by, I believe, if you can imagine this, Kyle Scott, who you may have heard of, uh, affiliated with CrossingBroad.com. And, uh, yeah, he uh, he does a show with uh, a rotating cast of characters, including uh, Jason Zernicki and, uh, and Bob. <laughs> Good old right, Bobby. Well, that'll do it for this episode, and it's now time to. I will shut that shit down. Thanks for listening, everybody.